I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, at baseball, given Tampa Bay a franchise back in 1993 when the first expansion teams were awarded to Miami, would the Rays have an attendance issue now? And what are the chances the Bucks make a trade for an offensive lineman? Was the officiating as bad as everyone remembers at the Gators-Miami game Saturday night? We've got your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Bursnick. Hey, do you want to be a millionaire? Well, for 30 years, Howard and Sue Million have brought the cool comfort of air conditioning to the entire Tampa Bay area, making thousands of residents millionaires with their quality products and service. Now, Millionaire is currently offering 0% interest for 72 months on qualifying equipment. So give them a call at 727-862-2100 so you can take advantage of this great offer on a brand new quality train air conditioning unit or to schedule service or maintenance. Call 727-862-2100 today. Trust the masters of comfort, Millionaire. All right, Steve, we got some great mailbag questions. Before we get to those, just an update uh, at Bucks practice today. Good news for the Bucks. Mike Evans, their wide receiver, who has been out for a little bit, he was back on the practice field. Looked like he had had a quad injury that he was sort of dealing with. So we are still, what, more than a week away from the regular season opener against the San Francisco 49ers. So really good news there. Also, Anthony Nelson, who was, remember, the fourth-round pick out of Iowa, defensive end, he was back at practice, not likely, neither of those players not likely to play on Thursday at Dallas, but good to see some of these guys getting back. Of course, we talked about Justin Evans the other day, had his second straight practice. Looks like he has a chance to play on Thursday. First time he's played since he was, you know, kind of carted off the field back in November with a foot injury, didn't do anything through the OTAs or minicamp. So starting to slowly get some guys back healthy, still no Vita Vea. Cam Brait is still out, which, uh, you know, there's some concern I would think about him, especially coming off the hip surgery that he had last year. Don't know if that's related to this or not or if it's concussion protocol, that sort of thing. But we'll have to wait and see. So in the meantime, the Bucs uh, preparing for their Thursday night game, final preseason game at Dallas. And we're going to see very little of Ryan Griffin, who's going to probably start the game. But he is now their de facto number two quarterback behind Jameis Winston, who won't play. None of the starters on either side of the ball are expected to play. So Ryan Griffin will get the start. And, of course, they've re-signed Vincent Testaverde, Jr., uh, the quarterback uh, from right here in Tampa that you know finally wound up at Albany. He had been to Texas Tech, Miami, and then finally Albany. He's re-signed, and he will play a lot of football. In fact, I talked to, to uh, Vincent, and you know his, obviously he's very excited. Say he's going to be nervous until you take that first snap, but this is a – a dream come true for him to play for the hometown team. Buccaneers, the team that drafted his father, Vinny Testaverde, back in 1987 as the number one overall pick. And, of course, Vinny played for about 20 years or so, also played one season for the Dallas Cowboys, which is where this game was at. And, his, and Vincent, at that time, 
his son was only about seven or eight years old, so he vaguely remembers living there for a year. So it'd be great for him, great for his family. And, you know, look, there's, there's not a lot they can do offensively in terms of, you know, much of a game plan. They're going to keep it pretty simple for all those guys so they can play fast. So Bruce Arians said he asked Testaverde to give him about 10, 10 to 15 plays or so, uh, pass plays that he feels very comfortable with, and they'll just continue to, you know, sort of cycle those through. So that's going to be what, uh, what goes down on Thursday night in Dallas. Some other news today, of course, uh, sad news. Vince Namoli, the founding owner of the Tampa Bay Rays, when they began their season here, of course, in 1998 with the first pitch there, has passed away at the age of 81. He had been, I think he had been uh, ill for, for a little bit here, but uh, still, you know, he'll always be remembered uh, not as maybe an owner that was successful in terms of his teams on the field while he, while he, while he owned them, um, but, but was the guy that brought baseball to the Tampa Bay area at, of course, then the Thunderdome and later Tropicana Field. And, uh, you know, it was under Namoli that that 2008 World Series team began to be assembled. Um, and, you know, with some of the draft picks and uh, the Evan Longorias and guys like that that came up through the organization, B.J. Upton and those kind of guys, Carl Crawford, of course, one of the original uh, Tampa Bay Rays picks. So uh, sad news there that uh, Vince Namoli has passed away at the age of 81. So question for you before we get into everyone else's questions is, yeah, who's a better owner, Vince Namoli or Stuart Sternberg? Well, I mean, it depends on what your criteria is, but I mean, as I just mentioned, you know, even Namoli's teams lost a lot of games. He was was known sort of as a little bit of a skinflint owner in terms of, you know, there were there were many instances that that made sort of the organization look cheap. Um, you know, there was uh, whether it was paying, you know, making people sing the national anthem, pay or try to get them to pay for tickets to the game, or uh, the one time I met Scout, I got banned for life because he happened to wander into the owner's owner's box bathroom. Um, so there was a ton of stories like that, and and you know they they really didn't um, invest that much, of course, in payroll and that sort of thing. But no matter what you say about Namoli, he's he's the founder of this franchise and convinced Major League Baseball. Uh, to expand to Tampa Bay when they had already expanded to Miami and Colorado. And so I think from that standpoint, you, you've got to give him credit. Now, Sternberg, you know, his ownership group has obviously fielded a much better product through the years. You know, they had a stretch of uh, making the postseason four out of six years, going to the World Series uh, and winning the American League Championship, winning the American League East a couple of times. You know, again, innovative in sort of his approach uh, with his front office to the game, with all the analytics and the shifts and, and you know, the openers and all those kinds of things. But, you know, instead of a guy on the one hand who brought baseball to Tampa, Stuart Sternberg has announced that he wants to move baseball away from Tampa. So from that standpoint, I would, I would say that Namoli, um, you know, despite his lack of success on the field, at least in the eyes of Rays fans, would have to be a better owner at this point if, in fact, Sternberg goes through with this idea that even half a season is going to be played in Tampa Bay. Now, some would argue that, well, but that's Sternberg's way of preserving baseball in Tampa Bay because they simply can't, you know, can't afford um, the economics of the deal to, to make it go here, especially at Tropicana Field where they're not 
drawn enough fans and don't don't have enough revenue. So maybe this idea can be viewed in that prism that you know he's he's preserving what Vince Namoli was able to get from Major League Baseball, but. Uh, on the surface, you still have one guy that brought it and one guy who, who may be responsible for it leaving. Well, Craig in Vegas asks, and we'll kick off the mailbag this way, with the recent news that Vince Namoli passed away, it makes me think of the timing of baseball coming to Tampa. Had the race started when the Marlins did, as we thought they would in 1993, would attendance be an issue now? Seems like the area was more baseball crazy then. Um, it might have been. I mean, they, they obviously, you know, did a good job early on of selling a lot of season tickets and things like that. I, I would say, you know, with respect to that, just look at the Miami Marlins. I mean, that's a team that won a couple of World Series, right? Or at least won one and were in two. I think they might have won two World Series titles. I'm not really sure. Um, but then they gutted the team after those years of, of the free agents that enabled them to do that. And we know that, you know, even with a new ballpark down there that they have since built, their attendance issues are as woeful or worse than than the Tampa Bay Rays. So um, I don't I don't know that there would have been you know more sustaining power if they'd have been the first team in the state of Florida. If that would have made a difference, maybe certainly early on, it, it very well could have. Um, but you know we see the situation where they produced a winner here for a number of years going back to Joe Madden and, and, you know, the again, four out of six years in the postseason in the World Series, and it really didn't seem to matter. Attendance was still bad. I mean, just this past year, um, one year ago, they won 90 games, still were, you know, way down in attendance. They are, again, even though as we do this podcast, they're 20 games over 500 and, you know, poised to win more than 90 games again. I think over the weekend, uh, the last time they were here in the homestand, they just had a couple crowds of, of, of shy of 8,000 people. So, um, you know, from that standpoint, I'm not sure it would have lasted. But early on, sure, if you're the first into the state of Florida and, and as a franchise, whether it's the NFL, um, you know, as the Miami Dolphins were, or um, in this case, you know, the Miami Marlins had it, that franchise come to Tampa, then you obviously get a boost and you become the state of Florida's team until they expand again. And that's what happened when the Rays got their team. All right, we'll stick with baseball since we're just talking about the Rays now. And Brian had emailed in, said he saw the current 538 projections to make the playoffs and noticed the Rays were only slightly above 50% and on pace for 92 wins. He has two questions. Would the season be a disappointment after missing the playoffs with 90 wins last year and potentially with 92 this year and missing out again? And he also was curious why Cleveland and Oakland were in the 70% chance to make the playoffs and the Rays only 50. Yeah, I think it would be a disappointment and only in the sense that, you know, you play an entire baseball season, six months to make it to the playoffs. And and that's sort of the goal every year. And, you know, having won 90 games last year and missed out, if you win 90, 92, 93 games and and don't go again, I think it just kind of stacks on top of that. Now, you know, there's as we sit here on August 26th and there are 20 games over 500, it feels like it's been a success. And. I think, you know, it's not an easy thing to do in the American League East. You're not going to run down the Yankees, but to finish second in the American League East, if they were to keep this pace and ahead of the Boston Red Sox is no easy feat. So, you know, from that standpoint, you could look at it as successful, um, but it's disappointing. I mean, you know, know, you've had more than, you know, 20-something players on the IL. There's all kinds of reasons why this has happened. They've, you know, been as innovative as they can to stay in the race. But you sure would like to see them finish it. And this is just kind of who they are. They're not good enough yet to uh, to really run down the Yankees and compete with them. They're sort of a middling team up and down 
you know, their road record is better than their home record, which is which is backwards, which is usually not what happens. Uh, as far as their chances go, I mean, I think, you know, Cleveland has, still has a chance to win the division. So either them or the Twins are kind of going back and forth, and you would figure that, you know, one of those teams, uh, you know, will win, and then the other one is going to be very close in the division race possibly and, and, and a, probably a, a better chance to get the wild card. And, and I think Oakland just probably has an easier road in terms of schedule. You know, the Rays went through their stretch, and um, now they're going through a tougher stretch as they begin a series in Houston. So we'll see how it all shakes out. But, yeah, unfortunately, I don't think there'll be a lot of happy people that go through the grind. of it. Maybe when they get away from it, they'll feel good about what they accomplished because it's a young team. But you go through the grind of six months and win 92, 93, 94 games and somehow not make it to the postseason, that's, that's disheartening. All right, we'll go to football now. And Josh asks, what are the chances the Bucks actually make a trade for offensive line help? I know they will use the waiver wire, but how about trades? Well, trades are, I guess, always a possibility. I mean, we didn't see several, you know, well, many years ago now, them trading for Logan Mankins. You know, they traded a, a tight end, Tim Wright, I think a draft pick back in the day. Uh, Mankins was at the end of his career in New England and was owed a lot of money. And so, you know, he still had some football left in the tank, but Bill Belichick decided, you know, better to deal him too early than too late. And so that was a huge pickup, and he made a big contribution to this offensive line and, you know, to sort of, you know, building the attitude of some of the guys that are still playing now. Um, And so, you know, those things always sort of occur. It's usually, you know, salary cap um, situations, or if there's a better player behind a veteran player, you might get a situation where you're able to trade for somebody. Now, there has to be more than one team. I mean, the name that's been bantied about is Trent Williams with the Washington Redskins. I, I don't know that people are going to give up enough draft capital for what maybe the Redskins want. I've heard also reports about Laramie Tunzel. I, I, don't, I don't assume that Miami Dolphins are likely to part with him, but they're in a rebuilding mode. It seems to me if you're going to have a young quarterback, you probably need you know a good tackle. But um, you know, So th- there'll be some surprises out there and some deals to be made. Um, but in general, everybody wants offensive line help, and there's almost no one out there to, to sort of fill those voids. I mean, it's getting harder and harder really to draft and develop offensive linemen because they're coming from a college game or high school and college where they're never even in a huddle. Um, they, they rarely are in a three-point stance. They call everything at the line of scrimmage. It's just a different technique used in the NFL for run blocking and all this sort of thing. And also the CBA prohibits those guys from putting on pads until they get to training camp. So you really can't improve your technique uh, and, be, and improve as an offensive lineman in, until you're able to, to get in pads and go up against somebody. So, you know, all of that's been part of the problem, but clearly the Bucks are in the, in the market for offensive line help if they can get it. Unfortunately for them, so is everyone else. I think it's more likely they maybe take a young player off waivers because the waiver system is going to crank up and the Bucks, because of last year's record for the next couple of weeks, will be sitting fifth on that list. So that's fairly high if they like a rookie that somehow um, gets released by another team. Here's the other issue the Bucks have is that you've got Donovan Smith, Ali Marpet, and Ryan Jensen all making over $10 million guaranteed this year. Yeah. So you already have three linemen there. You have the fifth most uh, money spent on offensive linemen paid. in the league. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. over 46, almost $47 million. Now Some of that will get pared down with cuts. Sure. Um, but you've already spent a lot on offensive linemen. So to try to get a Trent Williams, who's going to mm. command more than $10 million a year? Yeah, they don't have the salary cap, right. period. They'd have to cut a lot of players to do that. And I, I, don't, 
I don't see them doing that. I think they're going to go with what they have and hope that, you know, maybe they can pick up some guys off waivers um, that are better than the guys they have in camp right now. Otherwise, you know, you just got to hope that you dodge the injury bug for a while. All right, Yoav ask, knowing what we know now, do you think drafting three defensive backs in rounds two through four made sense? I don't remember the last time we didn't really care about our second-round pick at this point. Well, I mean, you know, it, it's hard to judge a draft, I think, before you play one regular season game. I assume he's talking about Sean Murphy bunting, the kid that, you know, was, was drafted in the second round by the Bucks and, Yes, by all evaluations, he has gotten off to a really, really slow start. But remember, you know, he played at Central Michigan where, you know, against their rival, they drew about 10,000 fans. The rest of these guys are mostly from the Southeastern Conference. So there's no bright lights, you know, deer in the headlights look. I think he was a little caught up in that when they started the preseason in Pittsburgh. It got a little bit better each week. And um, so, again, I, I wouldn't, you know, close the chapter on him. I always say this. Go back and look at Rondy Barber's rookie season. He was so bad they couldn't play him. They played him in one game, yanked him out, and he didn't play again until Herm Edwards sort of surprisingly you know, tossed him in a playoff game against the Green Bay Packers and Brett Favre, and he held his own. And we know that he's a you know, borderline Hall of Fame corner. So you know, it's, it's kind of hard to, to sort of evaluate that, but I, I do understand that you know, it's really – kind of a compliment, if you will, to the job that Vernon Hargraves and Carlton Davis have done in this system as the returning starters now playing, you know, up on the receivers, playing man-to-man, which is frankly what they were better and more comfortable at doing when they came out of college instead of playing zone. And those guys have held off the rookies, you know, the Jamal Deans. And uh, I still think Mike Edwards has a chance, that third defensive back, to once he's healthy, Uh, play a significant time at safety or maybe even be a starter that's sort of where he was headed so I I don't I don't know that it was a mistake per se they they definitely have other needs like offensive line maybe you draft two of those guys and and not I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today three um, and maybe they don't come out in that order if you know what you know now but I don't fault them remember they were 20 uh, what they were giving up 29 points a game a year ago quarterbacks were having a field day I think they had the highest passer rating in the league against the Bucks so they definitely needed some help on the back end and that's that's why they went and invested as much as they did um, on defensive backs all right Scott asks is Griffin to Hudson the new Winston to Evans Jokes aside, the link between the two looks good. Could Hudson secure a roster spot for the season, and could Griffin actually receive a snap? Well, if you're a Bucks fan, you don't want Griffin to ever receive a snap because in the short term it means that Jameis Winston got hurt because Griffin is going to be the number two now, now that Blaine Gabbard is out. Um, yeah, Tanner Hudson and him have a great chemistry, and it's been on display now for – a lot of you know last two-minute drives that resulted in game-winning field goals by Matt Gay, uh, and that's what happens when you work with the same guy on the you know the third-team offense or the look squad offense. You get to know him 
very well, and they've been together for you know more more than a year, I guess, at this point. Um, you know, as far as Griff, you know, getting into the game, I mean, I I think it's good that they have him as a number two. I I'm not surprised. I th- I think that initially they thought what would happen is he might be the odd man out simply because they expected Nick Fitzgerald to sort of be that number three quarterback, a hybrid punt protector, wide receiver, a special teams guy. And it turns out that, you know, he hurt his hamstring playing beach volleyball with, I don't know, the top gun guys or something. And he hasn't been, he hasn't been able to be out there at all. Like, and, and so now he, he risks, you know, getting cut or, you know, getting an injury settlement or something like that. So, um, you know, that, that's sort of where their quarterback situation is. And, you know, I, I think they're okay with it right now. I mean, clearly they, they hope Winston can stay upright, and, and that's going to be the test. You know, does this offensive system, which very rarely keeps more than the five, you know, offensive linemen in to block, you know, can they protect Jameis Winston? It certainly didn't do it the other night when they gave up the five sacks in the first half. So they're going to have to have a much, much better performance against San Francisco in a couple of weeks. Okay, Bobby asks, why do you hate the Bucks? I heard you Friday run down the Bucks on Cleveland Sports Radio. Well, I hate the Bucks because, you know, my entire – no, I, do, I don't hate the Bucs. Um, I did, I, you know, I'm trying to think back on an interview against, uh, in Cleveland, and I thought it was fairly middle of the road. I mean, I think what – you know, when you, when you ask, are asked sort of where do you see them in the NFC South – it's it's hard for me or frankly anybody else in the national media um, or otherwise that follow football to say well they're better than the Atlanta Falcons or they're better than the New Orleans Saints or they're better than the Carolina Panthers. We just don't have any evidence of that. You know we, you know when you finish last in this division eight out of ten times when those three quarterbacks are still healthy and we'll see what happens with Cam's ankle. Um, you know eventually Father Time is going to catch Drew Brees. Cam Newton has had a series of injuries. You know, Matt Ryan is, what, like 33 years old now? And so, you know, Jameis is closing the gap simply because he's still here. You know, he, he's now in his final year under his rookie contract with the club option. But, you know, he, he's managed age-wise to, you know, to mature. And now that, you know, he's a little bit older at, at what, the ripe old age of like 25 – He's got some experience behind him, too, but that, that just doesn't guarantee you anything. And, you know, I mean, let's be honest. This has not been a good franchise. I mean, and I'm not just talking about in the NFL. I'm talking about in professional sports. You do realize that if the Cleveland Browns, and it is a big if, manage to make it to a playoff game this year and the Bucks don't, the Browns have not made the postseason since the Bucks won the Super Bowl in 2 But that would mean that Tampa Bay, you know, it would be – the losingest, you know, current active streak of, of non-playoffs in the NFL, and and out of 32 teams, that is not where you want to be. That's where this franchise was for years. I think they had 10 or 12 years of double-digit losses, no home playoff appearance in 18 years until Tony Dungy got that done in '97, when they when they hosted the Detroit Lions. They haven't won a playoff game since '02. I don't. You know, I'm not down on the Bucks per se. I, I think they have some nice pieces on offense in particular. I, I think the defense is still very young. But show me the empirical evidence that this thing, you know, is going to change fast, especially when you're in the NFC South, because I, I don't see 
I don't see the drop off. It may come. It may come this year. But, you know, the only sure way to be good, and I would judge good by winning and, and getting into the postseason, the only way to do that is to win your division. And you tell me who they've closed the gap on. I think Jameis has closed the gap in terms of his experience and, and you know, the things that he has gone through as a quarterback, but that may or may not be enough for the team. All right, Ellis asked, which was more shocking, Andrew Luck announcing his retirement from football or Colts fans and a few prominent media members trashing him for his decision? Well, definitely the announcement, which led to the trashing. But, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think back on what's a more shocking announcement in sports. I know I and a lot of people that were watching the Miami-Florida game kind of had to rub our eyes, or if you saw it on Twitter, make sure it wasn't a fall Adam Schefter account somebody might have hacked into because it, it's surprising. Look, you can't find many guys that have made at least four Pro Bowls at quarterback under the age of 30 that have retired. They just, they're not out there, okay? So now you're looking at other sports, in, including the NFL, but you're looking at, you know, Michael Jordan, you know, quitting to go play baseball. Um, you know, in the NFL, Barry Sanders walked away when he was on top of his game. Jim Brown walked away, I think, at age, you know, age 30. And so, you know, there, there's some famous sort of retirements, but, you know, as far as fans booing or how – I don't know how many people actually booed, but they're at the game. We've established that, that, that fans, for the most part, or people that pay for these tickets to go to games, they don't really care about the players. I mean, they, they may be wearing somebody's jersey today – but once that guy's out of here, whether he gets hurt, gets carried off on a stretcher never to be seen again, or he walks on his own two feet out of the arena, once they're gone, they're gone. They don't care. And it's cold and it's callous and it's really inexcusable maybe some ways because, you know, these guys are human beings and, you know, they do put their bodies through an unbelievable physical test that you can't really appreciate unless you're at field level where it sounds and is so much faster that, you know, I don't even know how a guy completes a pass, much less, you know, directs his team down the field in the last, you know, couple minutes of a drive. So, you know, that's that's my take on it. I'm not surprised because I, I just don't think people care. You know, they, they can't relate, first of all, to the amount of money he's walking away from. And I've seen a lot of people talk about, well, I, you know, I would kill to be in the NFL and, and have that opportunity. How can he squander it? And I get up every day and I work hard. Well, you do, but you also are not a professional athlete or you would be one. And you don't know the physical toll that, you know, and mental toll that that has taken on Andrew Luck. It's unique to who he is and, and to, to what he has done to his body to prepare himself to play. So I don't, I don't try to walk in another man's shoes, but, and unfortunately, that's sort of the society we live in. They, they just, you know, they're, they're fans and, you know, player be damned. I, I want Andrew Luck to be at quarterback, whether he wants that life or not. And who are we to tell anybody how they should live their life? Now, I've seen some Indianapolis fans and, and people talking about, you know, when Peyton Manning retired, it came out just after season ticket money was due. And now Andrew Luck, there's the conspiracy that they knew he was yeah. going to retire at the end of last season, and but they wanted the season ticket money. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm yeah, saying that's the theory hard. out there. There's season ticket holders in Indianapolis saying this is twice now that right. after we bought our season tickets, the quarterback's retired. Or, well, he didn't, hurt, he didn't hurt him. He did not, you know, 
I mean, he didn't help them by waiting this long. I mean, mm-hmm. they, clearly you would have, as an organization, you would have liked to have known at the end of last season or in March of this year if you needed to recruit a free agent or get, get a guy ready to play. I mean, it is really late in the game. And the one question we really can't answer is when did you decide this? You know, like, like you know, you couldn't have gone much later unless you ran out there and did the coin toss and retired, you know. So we're, we're just a few days away from the opener. So from that standpoint, I totally get it. He kind of put the organization in a bad spot, and now they can't really do much about it. Fortunately, they have Jacoby Brissett, who they like. They have a very good team around him, which is going to help him. And, you know, the, the train moves on. I mean, that's, that's really the way it is. Next man up. Carl asks, if Lux sits out, say, two years and decides to come back, do the Colts, Colts still own him, and can he negotiate with other teams? They will own his rights, from what I understand, for three years. He's got three years left on his contract. So I believe it's just yeah, two years. Think, he signed a five-year deal in two? 16. Oh, okay. Well, then two. Well, okay. Well, what if it's two, if they got two years, then it, then they control his rights. So he'd have to be out more than that. Unless, and, and, you know, this has happened in the past with other players. It happened, in fact, with the Bucks' own coach, Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians left Arizona, still had a year on his contract, went into retirement, and then decided to be a head coach again. And the Cardinals kind of screamed foul, like, whoa, 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 you know, hold on a minute. And the Bucks in exchange just decided, hey, look, he really wants to come to Tampa. We'll give you, like, a seventh-round pick and call it even. So that's that's sort of what went down there. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting proposition. Can that sure. be a condition of him, of the Colts not seeking his signing bonus money to be returned? Um, it could. Uh, they could be doing that out of the goodness of their hearts. Or, you know, I suppose that that would sort of lock him into the next two years, at least, you know, contractually he's he's getting the money that he would have otherwise earned. Um, so I don't know how a mediator would look at that or the union. Uh, I don't think Andrew Luck's coming back. If he did, um, you'd absolutely probably have to – absolutely probably. you probably have to, you know – somehow make restitution or some kind of, you know, in terms of draft picks or whatnot, I would, I would think you'd have to give them some, the Colts something for him, for his rights. All right, Dave asks, do you think the XFL can work in Tampa Bay, and will you cover the team as a beat reporter? I will not as a beat reporter from what I understand. Um, this is the old sort of going way back, Lyndon Johnson, that, you know, if I'm nominated, I will not serve. I will not run for president. Um <laughs> So if you hear that, bosses, please don't nominate me to cover the Spring League. Uh, I think Thomas Bassinger will be doing that for our paper. I'm, I, will, I would imagine I will go out there and be involved at some level, uh, maybe watching games or the opener or something like that. As far as it's succeeding, um, it's really up to the league. I think the market will, will respond positively to it. And the only really experience we have with it is the USFL and the Tampa Bay Bandits. Now, I don't know what organization – that they're putting together there at the Tampa Bay Vipers in Plant City where their training complex is. But, you know, the Bandits were an unbelievable success. I mean, people should, you know, be writing books about it. Uh, I know Jeff Perlman wrote one about the USFL, but I, I think that, you know, they that the marketing that they had. And, and one of the reasons, the primary reasons they were successful is the Bucks were not. The Bucks were a terrible franchise back in the day. They were going – you know, two and fourteen, and and such, and I think that you know people love football, but they also love winning football. And even though this is in the NFL, there's going to be plenty of talented players, and 
you know, depending on how they 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 market it and, and what the what the Bucks do this year, there could be an appetite for a winner if they're able to, you know, come out and start winning games and maybe some people get behind them. All right, Les asked. I watched the Gator game on Saturday night. Was the officiating as bad as I remember it being? I was too often yelling at the TV with all the Gator turnovers. Yeah, I don't. I didn't see the official cause one turnover. I know they reviewed a bunch of them, and you know there there was maybe one I think could have gone the other way. Um, look, I it's it's a first game for officials too, right? And I don't know if this crew had been together, but you're going to have hiccups early on in the season. I think the teams demonstrated that they were neither team was really ready to play. I mean, they played hard, they didn't play smart. And there was a lot of sideline issues in terms of, you know, what personnel groupings to get on the field and, um, you know, having to burn timeouts and, and that sort of thing. So it, it just it just wasn't a really well-played game. You know what I'm saying? Like, And so if you didn't like the officiating, well, you probably, you probably should concentrate too on the number of turnovers and, and penalties. And, yes, they were penalties, especially down the stretch on Florida State. You know, grabbing receivers on fourth and fourth and forever, and then you know giving Miami a, a, a chance to come back. So, yeah, it wasn't wasn't the best, but again, I, I think the teams and their sloppy play contributed to that perception. Okay, Stephen asked. I know the Tampa Bay Lightning just re-signed Coach John Cooper to an extension, but if the Lightning have another great regular season and disappointing playoffs, do you think he could be released after this upcoming season? I think any coach is capable of being fired. Uh, you know, the, the easiest thing to do is to fire the coach and not the entire team, right? And we've seen that. I guess I still hark back to, you know, John Gruden had signed a three-year extension, you know, in the spring before his final season in Tampa. And, you know, for, for a multitude of reasons, not the least of which they were 9-3 and three and still failed to make the playoffs, the Glazers, you know, uh, pulled the ejector seat on them. So anything is possible. I don't think you want that narrative where you're great in the regular season and don't win or don't go all the way in the postseason, that's sort of where Tony Dungy was when they fired him. And even though Tony had not gotten an extension, his contract was coming up. So, you know, the timing was a little better there. I mean, you know, Cooper still has a number of years, especially after the extension. It's rare, but does it happen? Yes. Will the postseason go a long way to determining whether it should or not? Yes. Um, But there's also other factors that they look at as well. All right, thanks for your questions. Some really good ones there. And you don't have to wait for a mailbag. You can reach us anytime. Uh, just send your questions to us on Twitter at SportsDayTB. Reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. Or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. Big one in Houston tonight. The Rays and the Houston Astros. Justin Verlander against former Astro Charlie Morton on the mound. I'm going to be close to my TV set for that one. The Rays. Uh, of course, trying to uh, come off those two losses against the Baltimore Orioles and right in the thick of things for the wild card. The Bucks continue their practice for their game at Dallas. Last chance for the media to uh, have uh, some interaction with the players, and then they'll have the walkthrough on Wednesday and travel to Dallas for their game. Thursday night, you're going to see a lot of Vincent Testaverde Jr. at quarterback, I think, uh, after a brief appearance maybe from Ryan Griffin. Later this week, we're going to have Matt Baker, our college football writer, to talk about the Gators and the Hurricanes from last Friday and get you ready for what is now really week one of the college football season. And on Friday, of course, USF hosting my wife's Wisconsin Badgers. So that'll be a big one at Raymond James Stadium. Hey, folks, we know you have a choice of uh, air conditioning companies out there. Try my folks, Howard and Sue Million at Millionaire. They've been doing this for 
three decades in the Tampa Bay area, and they're currently offering 0% interest for 72 months on qualifying equipment. So give them a call now at 727-862-2100 to take advantage of uh, their offer and uh, as well as maintenance or service. So it's 727-862-2100. Trust the masters of comfort, millionaire. For Steve Verstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 